Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. Open air, Al Fresca today. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Braden's going to pass out because there's ga- like just dangerous gas seeping through his home currently. And no, that is not a joke about me. No, it's Sadly. no, it's not. It's coming from his oven. It's very dangerous. My name's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan <laughs> Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. So we we have a there's no gas, natural gas or anything on our street. It's not offered. And we're going to do an SEC East preview, by the way, uh, on today's show. <laughs> yeah, Chris, let's lay it out there. <laughs> Chris Doring going to join us. We're going to talk about all seven teams in the SEC East. But there's no natural gas on my street. So when we, when we built our house, I made them put a pro, pro a propane tank in. Bobby, damn it, Bobby, give me some propane. That's like scarily accurate. I, I, scarily I, is not a word. I, I wanted a propane because I want to cook on, on gas. I don't want to cook on electric. So we put in a propane tank. It's a little tiny hundred pounder. It's not a tiny little thing over there on the side of the house. Well, for whatever reason, the oven is not kicking on. So I started the oven and it just like was on for eight minutes. I think just spewing propane into the house for the for like eight minutes straight. And so like my wife left and I have, the windows are now open in the office. So if you hear some birds chirping or, you know, some turkeys or some, you know, some cars going by, my apologies. I wonder if propane like kills a certain kind of brain cell, like maybe it'll kill like your stubborn argumentative brain cells instead of just the other ones, you know, got a lot of those. Wouldn't that be cool? Got a lot of those. Um, I don't know. The stubbornness has taken me, you know, into places I probably would never have gotten in my life. Great for sports radio. You are in your element. I mean, it probably convinced my wife to marry me. Um, you know, like I probably just, just didn't, relentlessness. I just, didn't give up. <laughs> yes, I just never gave up. Please. <laughs> uh, no. So I've never seen so much damn whacking. Okay. Why are um, you so good at that? I don't like it. Uh, all right. So SEC, we should do the East. Yeah. SEC East preview. Chris Doring is going to be our guest. We are going to talk about all seven teams in the SEC East today. But of course, we are brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Jaspers over on West End. An elevated sports bar menu brought to you by Four Top Hospitality. Deb Paquette is the chef who created the menu and picked out the menu. She does really smart food. It's a great place to watch the game. You got great space for socially distanced, even though it feels like, Aaron, we're getting closer and closer to not having to be distanced. Alabama now is scheduling, saying that they're going to have a full stadium in the fall. I hope that they're right. We'll see. But anyway, if you still want to be safe, which you should, Jasper's is a great place for, to socially distance, free parking, great menu, lots of space, all that good stuff. Deb Paquette is a culinary genius. And yes, I'm so excited for normal life. I can barely stand it. I just found out my parents are finally scheduled to get the vaccine because I have one high-risk parent and I am like so pumped for normal life. It just gave me a glimpse of hope. Mine are also scheduled to get vaccines next week. So yes. all, right. all right, vaccines, baby, for everybody. And then first SEC time we football. clapped since 2019 (laughs) yeah that's right no human has applauded (laughs) ever in 18 months Uh, all right so here's what we're going to do chris doring we're going to ask him a lot of questions about all the teams in the sec coming up in a few minutes but what i thought we would do aaron and again there's not a lot of news but i thought we'd run through spring football spring preview whatever that means and just sort of we're going to each offer up what we think is the most important thing for each team in this league, the thing that we care the most about, the most intriguing thing about each one of these teams going into the spring, because I don't know about you, but I, I just, I just don't know what coaches are other than like developing young talent and sort of like mastering the tiny little nuances of your position. I don't really know what you're supposed to learn about 
in spring practice. Like I don't get fired up for spring practice. Is that bad? No, it's not bad, but it is pretty important. I, I agree. For it like just doesn't, a, doesn't make you like, uh, like you're not like yearning for it. I'm yes, I'm not yearning for it. No, I don't. I that don't was wa- such a Chris Childers word. I don't. Wa- yeah, that's a you problem. I don't walk around, y- y- you know, gagging for spring practice. That's not what I'm. That's not what I do. Ew. But I like I understand the value for like a young freshman who comes to campus who needs to learn how to like in a normal time needs to learn how to like go to class, you know, find out what the culture is all about. And, you know, a new coach, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, Shane Beamer, like they're installing a new offense. So I see I, there's tons of value there. I just don't know what people like you and I can gain. What can it's we gain? Us. You know? Yeah, probably nothing. I loved spring practice when I was working at a school. It's fun. It just like gets you excited again. It's probably also just, you know, it's just a way the guys to them, it's a big deal because it means they still got to be in shape. But I think it's fun because it's like, oh, football's coming. You kind of like forget for a second. You're, well, you're out on a football field, which is never a bad thing. Yeah. That's yeah. For sure. So maybe that's why it. Maybe that's why I it does did more for me than it does for you. But it's all about you. Let's be honest. No, it's not at all. You make it pretty clear on the show each week that it's not about me, and I'm okay I with that. Do my best. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I just I'm cynical and jaded and old now. But you're right. I do love when I <laughs> when I step on a football field. You know, at any point, I'm on, if I'm on a sideline, if I'm at practice, it doesn't matter. I feel like a 12 year old kid again, like every time. So you're you're right. You're, right. you're really not that old. What are you going to call yourself when you actually get old? Uh, all right, you want to roll? That was a question, but yeah, let's just keep going. What? What? Do you, uh, well, I'm middle-aged now, right? Well, well you call yourself really old. I'm like, what are you going to call yourself when you're like 60, archaic? Well, you'll be 52, so. And kicking. I, that, I, that I believe in. All right, <laughs> okay, let's, let's do it. Let's roll through. Let's start. Uh, you want to start at the top or the bottom or just randomly? What do you want to do? Alphabetical order? What do you want to do? I want to go alphabetical because I can sing the states in alphabetical order. And that makes me proud. So let's go in alphabetical order. The 50 nifty. That's what you, that's what you can say. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So what's first then? I'm a little <laughs> Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's in the West doofus. Oh um... <laughs> yeah. That'll, that makes sense. <laughs> um, is, is F before G or G before F? <laughs> Just There's that education hard at work. Florida. All right. First. E A B C D E. Okay. All right. Florida, Florida Gators. Yep. Uh, look, uh, you want to go, I'll go first here because you go first. there's tons of questions about the offense. And I understand that new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, no Kyle Pitts. You know, your top three receivers are gone. The offensive line was a question last year. I get all of that. I am not worried about Emory Jones or Dan Mullen putting together a hell of an offense. I just am not. I, they're going to find pieces. Florida recruits pretty good players at, at the skill positions. They got a lot of bodies there. They do need to work out some issues on the offensive line. My biggest thing for Florida is far more about the defense, the front seven. They've got some nice edge pieces. I want to know what the middle of that defense looks like. What does the defensive tackle position look like? What does the middle linebacker position look like? What does the front seven look like? Florida gave up 6.1 yards per play, 30 points per game, and 170 yards rushing per game last year. That is unacceptable if you're a Florida Gator, and that's why Todd Grantham's on the hot seat right now going into this season. So to me, I know there's questions on offense, but I'm my the biggest thing for me is what does that front seven look like and can they hold up along the line of scrimmage? That's my big question. I think mine is related, but is more of an offensive question, which is we know that they 
have talent on that team. We know that they are going to be able to fill those gaps. They're losing in some way, shape or form. I'm just curious about how many guys we're actually going to see, because we had so many playmakers in 2020 that it was almost hard as an opposing defense to really even know what to prep for, know what was happening because they just had so many weapons on offense. So just to see, you know, if the style changes and how many guys they actually are able to circulate in and out of there on offense to kind of keep things keep changing it up uh, yeah I, I agree with you it's going to be a lot of bodies but I don't know I just in 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 Dan Mullen we trust like I'll make fun of him when I think he, I disagree with him and he's doing something wrong and saying something wrong but I want him to keep talking like just be honest and keep drawing up plays because I think he can do it man he's very he's got a lot of spurrier to his game you know just maybe yep. not as just not as witty as as the old ball coach no Steve Spurrier is so sarcastic I just love him you know how I feel about him isn't it funny that my two favorites are Sam Pittman and Steve Spurrier, the two people I talk about more than anything, and they're polar opposite. They are polar opposite, but not surprising that those are the two likable characters. Like, I love them. I, I will tell you this. The first time I ever was like actually starstruck like as a media member, not, not like starstruck per se, but just walked in was like, oh, this is different, was when I was in the room with Steve Spurrier at SEC, my first ever SEC media days. This would have been like, I don't know, like 06 maybe, 07. And I sit, I, I walk into the little tiny room and there's maybe like 10 or 12 of us in there with them. And I asked him a question and I was like peeing on myself. Like I was shaking so badly. It was so strange. And I was just like, uh, coach, uh, you know, and I, I don't even remember what I asked him something about like, how much longer do you think you want to do this or something like that? So it was actually a pretty good question. And he's like, well, my golf game has been about the same since 1990. And then he just was like, well, if I can keep golfing, then I can keep coaching. And you're like, all right, thanks, coach. But there's just like an aura. God, I love him. Did I ever tell my, I told my Steve Spurrier story on here, didn't I? We're not sure. Go ahead. I don't think okay, so. Okay, I'm going to. I met, for the first time, first time I ever met him, I was actually doing lighting um, for ESPN at a Vanderbilt game for Maria Taylor. So I'd follow her around um, with a light and just make sure she was well lit when she did any of her sideline interviews. She did the post-game interview. South Carolina ended up winning that game. I'm trying to remember what year it was. I can't remember. Did you, but, ever, did you have to shoo anybody out of the way? Like, excuse me, she's not well lit right now. I need to get do my job. Get out of my way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll push so I get where I need to be. I didn't really ask him. <laughs> I just kind of just did it. Um, but I remember, side note, I remember I used to always be like, God, I, I feel like your shadow because I was right on her table. She's like, you're not my shadow. You're my sunshine. And I was like, oh. wow. I, and I've loved her ever since. She's the best. Anyways, she is, she Steve Spurrier, cool. post-game press conference, South Carolina barely eked it out. Vanderbilt, you know, had them for most of the game. South Carolina was heavily favored. And Maria asked him, she's like, coach, you know, what were you guys able to do in the second half to like pull this off? He's like, well, Maria, I'm going to tell you something. We're real bad at football. We're bad on offense. We're bad on defense. We're bad at scoring points. We're bad at playing the game of football. We can't pass it. Can't run it. We shouldn't have won. We didn't deserve to win. We're bad at football. Like, and I remember I was just holding my tongue, trying not to <laughs> audibly laugh into the ESPN camera. Um, but he, he is just, I mean, there's no yeah, one like Steve Spurrier. There's just a, like, you know, certain people, when you're in the room, you know, you're in the room with somebody like he walked in the room and like, it, the room felt heavier. <laughs> I was just like, oh, the ball coach is in this room right now. And I, I'm in here too. What am I doing in here? Why am I in this room with him? <laughs> it was, it was that, there, it, like Tebow. It was like that man's like Manziel. I'd sort of, I'd sort of grown out of that phase when I was in the same room with Manziel, but Tebow had that same vibe in like, Oh eight. Again, mm -hmm. I was, I was still really young. 
and I was very new to the scene. So Tebow had that vibe. Anyway, SEC East preview. <laughs> Georgia Bulldogs. I, I They play Clemson at the beginning of the year. I think they're going to play Alabama at the end of the year. I, it, this may be really oversimplifying a complicated thing, but are they good enough to win those two games or one of those two games? Because everything else seems to be in place, and they they've won an SEC championship under Kirby Smart. That's that's under that's overlooked a lot. They got to the national title game in overtime. That's overlooked a lot. So they've been there. I, I just they're going to play Clemson and probably Bama at the end of the year in the SEC title game. Can they win one of those two games? And does that get them into the playoff? It's all about upside for me with Georgia. Is that? And I guess my question. <laughs> everyone always says snowballing off of that i want to make up a new phrase speed ramping off of people, that. wait wait people people say snowballing off of that yeah like just snowballing off of that yeah people say that like on oh. zoom calls all the time i've heard piggybacking off that oh that's what i'm <laughs> i've never heard snowballing skate ramping off of that are you sure, are you sure there's not a propane leak in your office jet packing <laughs> off of that so, all right, while we're doing while we're doing like random off stories, my one of my wife's best friends who will remain nameless to to, uh, to protect the innocent here. Right. Um, she said she we were having a uh, we were all sitting around on a Friday night, about eight of us like having some cocktails and having some fun back when we were allowed to do that. And uh, she said we got to talking about um, you know things that you can do with other people, let's say. And she said she used to use this phrase in an email and didn't understand why we were all laughing at her. Okay. And she and she would say she would send an email and so she'd be like, "Yeah, let me reach around back with you later on that topic, and we'll get and we'll we'll do and like so." She no, would, she didn't. She would use that phrase in email form. Reach around back. Yeah, we'll we'll reach around we'll reach around later and touch base, <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of thing. And all so the guys reach around was her phrase. All the guys in the all the guys in the room were all just like. You, oh my god you really don't know what that means <laughs> if i'm so, i i feel bad for her but i am so glad that was her and not me because if i had said that in an email to like a coaching staff oh i know i know you'd have been can done. you imagine oh god just I, it gives me the chills um <laughs> she, she's like the sweetest nicest person in the world but like just didn't realize what that she probably shouldn't be saying sending that email in a like in a corporate style business style setting I dare someone listening to this to use that on purpose and then please tweet us, white out people's name and tell us what their response was. I want to know if someone can use reach around in an email right now this week on purpose and tell us what happens. Snowballing off that. I think if you could send us audio or of that, it would be even better. Yes. Just So let me snowball off that up, and I'll. Up and the I'll... Annie. <laughs> Speaking of gas leaks, let's Snowball. just frame let's frame our Georgia conversation around Braden's current condition. So, like, are they gonna? What's in the offensive oven for Georgia this God. season? Are we trying out some new recipes? Do we have our aprons on? What's Maybe. happening? And I is think. there and creative enough? I mean, what are they doing different to kind of you know propel themselves? It's just you're right. They're one game away, maybe two. So. There's only a couple of questions on the schedule for them. And just, I don't really even know, you know, specifically what that difference on offense has to be. What do you think it is, Braden? I, probably a couple of new spices here and there and, and you're good to go. I, some, I, a red just, pepper flake or two? Just Yeah, like just some crushed red pepper on, I mean, really like we joke, but 
the offense, Todd Munkin, is he the coordinator to do it? JT Daniels looks like the guy, as we tried to tell you all summer last year. I, you know, it's, it's, it's exclusively about upside and Georgia has the most to win and the most to lose of any team in the East because they're the only team that can beat Bama. I don't think anybody else can beat Bama Agreed. in, in, in the SEC. So it's all about, you know, upside and et cetera for, for Georgia. And, and then of course, can they get that offense cooking? Uh, all right, Kentucky, you go first. For Kentucky, I just, I'm curious to know if the quarterback situation will end up stable enough to really utilize the offensive line that they've taken so long to, to make sure it was solid. So I'm just interested to see kind of what happens on offense for them. And if they're, you know, have, they're so strong on the line that, you know, will they be able to, will the weapons around them, you know, really be able to use that strength on the line to their, to, to their advantage? that makes sense yeah I, I sort of trust mark stoops to handle the the defensive side of the ball like dan mullen with offense yeah chris chris rodriguez is a stud at running back the offensive line has an identity i really tried to find a different thing <laughs> that was interesting about kentucky but they're actually just like sort of like boringly consistent and boringly solid i think and, that's gonna make them scary soon though because i, I, I agree their bones are good <laughs> Right. I, I, I agree. Um, it's all about, they got Bo Allen and Joey Gatewood. Of course you got the freshman Bo Allen and Joey Gatewood, the transfer, they're going to compete in the spring. And then you bring in Will Levis for the trans the transfer from Penn state in the summertime. So it's exclusively about the quarterback battle and then new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen. You, you're going to ask Chris Doring about him later. They bring him in from, you know, the Rams and brings those NFL stuff. Like they've got to have balance. I want to I want to say there's something else to talk about with Kentucky, but if they find balance in the passing attack, this is a dangerous football team. I mean, there's no need to to reach around and create a conversation that we don't need to have. I think it is what it is. I think you're reaching for that. That's for sure. There's no question. Um, all right, <clears throat> excuse me. What comes after I hate K? Myself. M Missouri. No, Missouri. that's not correct. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. Where'd you go to school? I, I don't want to do that to my school right now. M-I-Z-Z-O-U, Mizzou. It's because I had all, it's because I put every school on my list and I, I, I keep referring back to all of them as a list instead of just the East. Gotcha. Go ahead, Braden. Proceed. Uh, so my guy, Eli Drinkwitz, year number two, they are terrible on defense, could not get stops in the red zone. They found their quarterback in Connor Bazelak. Uh, you could ask a question about the supporting cast on offense, and that's fair. I, I, I am more interested in what does the culture look like in year two under Eli Drinkowitz? Can Are, are they going to play shootouts every single game? Like, what's the identity of the team? I just want to know what, like, like, I'm fine if it's just Bazelak and they're going to sling it and they're going to be an offensive minded team because that's kind of going to be a theme throughout the entire East this year. If you look around, like Tennessee's defense is atrocious. We just talked about Florida and their defensive questions. Kentucky and Georgia both can play some defense, but we're about, these next four teams, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt, none of them can play a lick of defense. And it's going to be shootouts everywhere. So is that identity good enough to, to challenge the, in the East? Or do they have to find some, some other part of their identity? Because I, I, you know me, your Sam Pittman is my Eli Drinkwitz. So. <laughs> 
no one will ever be my Sam Pittman. So please don't compare your relationship to mine. My question, do you have a response? My guy won five games. How many did your, your guy win last year? I don't need to talk about that. It's all about character. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> my question is like along the same lines of what it would take exactly for Missouri to push their way out of that bottom tier of the SEC into that middle, kind of that middle section of teams. I think you just, you just named four that, you know, can kind of continue to sit towards the bottom or at least have in the last several years. But we saw glimpses from Missouri, I guess, because, because of like what they showed on offense that they do have a lot of the means to compete with some of those middle tier teams and, and even teams that were, you know, close to the upper tier. So I just, I'm curious exactly what it will take to get them out of that bottom spot and kind of flirting with the middle teams. Well, I, I mean, could you argue they're already, I mean, they were five and five this yeah. year, six and six the year before, like six I and six so. isn't, I think you're like, you fired a coach. So like, it's hard to argue that they're not, you know, there's not major questions when you're firing a coach. So mm-hmm. that in year one, though, to go five and five in 10 SEC games, I wouldn't call that the bottom, but I wouldn't call it the top either. Yeah. And maybe on a, if I guess if we're just looking at, maybe I'm looking at it more from a general view of what we think of as teams that consistently fall in the top, the middle and the bottom. So on a year to year basis, I think it's, it'd be easier to say last year that they were more of one of those middle tier teams that's not consistent though so you know we have teams in our head that we think about yeah. these are the bottom yeah. you know yeah. uh yeah yeah <laughs> coming up sec- in a second <laughs> no qu- no <laughs> coming question. right up <laughs> uh, new defensive coordinator steve wilkes who was like a head coach in the nfl just like a couple of years ago which is a really great hire i would i, I really love the move by eli drinkowitz but they were terrible on defense so you know if you're going to win a bunch of 45 40 games which is kind of college football today Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got the pieces to do it. So Missouri, very interested with Missouri. Uh, South Carolina, as we work our way down alphabetically, because uh, S is before T. Um, and we're going to ask Chris Doring about this when it comes to sort of what are reasonable expectations for Shane Beamer. What I care about the most, though, is can he develop? Because there's a, you, you look at this team and you go, man, you got a whole lot of starters coming back on offense. You, you need to develop a quarterback. Is that Luke Doty? Who is that? You need to develop a quarterback. You got a lot of starters back on offense, so can you develop them? You got a couple of five-star recruits on the defensive line that are going to be young players. A lot of new faces on defense. Can you develop them? We know he can recruit. Uh, can his staff develop talent? And if they can, like I could, you know, maybe – show some signs of optimism for this particular starting 22. But, uh, you know, that's my question for South Carolina. Can you develop guys? Can you make them better between now and the start of the season? I think when there's a lot of moving pieces, my question is just, are there too many battles and too much newness going on to really figure out what's working? So I think, you know, there's a, there's a healthy, you can have a healthy, quarterback battle but if you're also having a battle of like everything else on offense and trying to get new guys in there it's hard another same science reference but you almost need a control and it's hard to know it's just a lot of combos to be trying out for them to really figure out what's actually working and I think that I mean something they'll try to sort try to sort through in spring practice as much as they can but that's that's going to be a theme for them I believe It's just 23 points a game on offense is atrocious. 36 points a game allowed on defense is atrocious. 
but there are some like again not there are some pieces there like it's not I mean, we're about to get to Tennessee's defense like I think Tennessee has more talent overall than South Carolina but not necessarily where I want it to be you know like so I, I just think I don't know maybe I'm cautiously optimistic about the talent on South Carolina's roster I am not that way about the coaching staff so how do they fit together is my question uh Tennessee and obviously we could talk about the quarterback battle Hendon Hooker comes in from Virginia Tech you got the star sophomore Harrison Bailey Brian Maurer Caden Salter great quarterback battle obviously you could circle that just like Kentucky I, I just and I'll ask Chris this I, how bad could it get because bad Butch Jones was 0 and 8 and it crumbled. Now players are leaving left and right. Like, I just, I don't know how bad it could get for Tennessee before we start to see improvement. That That's, they'll have an identity on offense with Heupel's offense. I just don't know what does the overall situation look like. I don't know if that's even a question. Like, mostly it's just concern at this point for Tennessee fans. That, are you guys going to remember that on the first game so that you don't get your hope? Well, not you specifically, but the greater volunteer population going to be able to remember that and and not end up in fairy tale land before you start losing games. I mean, week two against Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's true. I guess I could knock you off your feet real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the. How far is the bottom? How how low is the bottom? That's the question. It's a good question. We'll reach around to this to this subject later. (laughs) Oh God, I hope this dies after this episode. The I thought there was going to be advantages with the Danny White Josh Heupel situation, and I'm sure that there were and will be in a lot of ways. It still felt really rushed to me. You know, they're still the last ones making decisions. You still had spots like coaching spots open really late. It just, I'm, I'm just wondering why with that connection in place that I gave me hope for them, things are still lagging. Why is that going to carry over and continue to be a theme? Why is it still so hard to get stuff done? I think that's a wonderful question. <laughs> That a lot of people would like the answer to. <laughs> I don't. Uh, this is completely rhetorical at this point. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator. I, I'm with you. Like, why? <laughs> well, I mean, listen. I'm going to give my. I give everybody a chance here, right? But like, my our job is to tell you how we see it. And I, Shane Beamer and Josh Heupel. I don't know if I see it. Question Clark mark. Lee, Clark Lee Vandy. I don't know if he's going to win much, but I like the hire. I like the coach. So, um, let's get to Vanderbilt here. And I, you know, there's really just not a spot on the roster that you couldn't ask a question about with the exception of the quarterback, maybe. Um, but I, I guess it's just, you know, it's a lot easier to go from really, really, really bad to like just kind of bad. That's a really easy step to take. And so the question is, how many steps can Vanderbilt take? And that's that's what I want to know about Vanderbilt and Clark Lee. And, you know, I think you can take a few and when you're at that when you're 0-10, you, you can take some steps pretty easily. See, I think you don't I think that gap's wider than you're giving it credit for. I I just mean it's easier to go from 0-10 to two wins than it is to go from two to five or something. Yeah, like we're like from, from Georgia to Alabama, right? Like that the final step is always the most difficult. Like you can build your program up, but to be championship good. 
like Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher and these guys are seeing how hard it is to do that. I think it's easier to make up ground when you're really, really, really far behind, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. So I think there's going to be steps. I just want to know how many steps did they take? Right. I'm excited for there just to be a quarterback in place that has shown signs of hope. I think that just having that symbolic figure there does a lot, not only for the fan base, but also for the team to have somebody to look to. And he, he, for being as young as he is, he showed really good signs of leadership. Ken Seals did. So I'll be interested to see that. I, I also think that coming from a team that's really, really struggling, um, not only on offense, but also on defense, like how are we going to fill in and, you know, try to Vanderbilt need often needs to create turnovers to be able to win a game. So can you replace some of the, a little bit more dynamic weapons on defense, like losing Dio Dangbo is going to be a big hit for them. So just filling those in and, and, you know, trying to be aggressive and, you know, are those, can we not only develop conceals in the, in the, in the offense, but do you, are there going to be any of those dynamic like defensive weapons to help, you know, create turnovers and, and potentially get some W's. Well, and if all it takes is a couple of plays to create a couple of turnovers to get a win, that's sort of, that would already be better. Yes. That would already be better than last year. So that, that's kind of what I'm getting at is I think if you, if you do the job, like we think he's going to do with his new staff, all it takes is one good Saturday and you've shown improvement from the year before. So um, th that's our East preview right there. How about that? That was fun. I had a good time. That was good. It. Now let's bring in an expert. How about, and let's let Chris Doring, we'll, we'll be back to, to finish things up and, and wrap at the end here, but let's bring in Chris Doring, SEC Network, former Florida Gator, all that great stuff to give us all of his insight on all seven teams in the SEC East coming up right after this. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers on West End. Aaron put her hands up. I did not. I did it. I did it at the exact right time too. Did you see that? Uh, you did. You did. You're, you're, <laughs> you, it's must, you must have danced in college or something. You must be very coordinated. I'm a timing girl. So West End, elevated menu, fantastic sports bar. I guess I've been told it's the sports next bar isn't even it is, but that doesn't really even describe it very well. No, it doesn't. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. I've been told. Right. And elevated sports bar. They're, they're, listen, they're okay with being called a sports bar, but I don't think. No, it's no, it is, yeah, you're right. You're right. It is. I'm but you just you. feel fancier. I I agree, but not like, too, but not you like too fancy. Fancy. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's that's just, the key. It's that's just key. right. Right. Is that a, a little three little bears reference? <laughs> I do. I do read a lot of Goldilocks. There's, I was gonna say. There's definitely some Goldilocks in the house. That's for sure. And what's really weird is like I like my daughters like it when I have to do like the grand, like the dad bear voice. And then like mama, mom does like the mom bear voice, but I do the little kid bear voice. What is it? And I'm not doing it for you. Right now. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Why not? Cause it feels like a, I'm trying, it feels like, like a tiny Tim voice. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to picturing. So like, Fun is just right. <laughs> like that. It's, but it's more like fast paced. It's more like, See, I knew if I did it, you would want to correct it Damn and it. do it. It's not about correcting it. It's just no. It just go to yeah. Jasper's where the porridge is just right. <laughs> They're like, you guys are done. There's no porridge at Jasper's. That's the point. It's There's fantastic no food. There's like cocktails. There's like shrimp cocktail. 
and like amazing flatbreads and fantastic entrees, a fantastic dessert menu, free parking, all kinds of expanded space to be socially distanced while we just finally push through the end of this damn pandemic. We're so close to being able to like just going out to bars and being with our friends and family, um, which does raise an interesting point um, question for you, Aaron. Mm-hmm. So like Jasper's bars, this big uh, cube, lots of good sight lines, uh, big square, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really cool layout. But you have to be socially distanced, right? You can yes. sit in, in two chairs. There's like two seats here and two seats there. Two Lots seats of space. Yep. This is all at Jasper's on West End, of course. And I, I'm just curious because you have to get tested a lot and you go out more than I do. because yeah, you have I get a, tested all the time. And because you're like fun and, and, and don't have children. And single. Yeah. How do you approach someone of the opposite sex or anybody you're interested in, male or female, at a socially distanced bar? Like, is it even possible? It's mm, a good question. I take it that I'm has sh- not happened to you. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think. I mean, I have not probably made the effort to approach somebody else at a socially distanced bar. I'm trying to think if that's happening. Maybe I just want all bars to be socially distanced forever so that I never have to make the effort to talk to people. Try- <laughs> Go to Jasper. So you get I mean, older. You can wada, I, I mean, I don't know what it would be some creative ways. I mean, Jasper's is really doing it right. So I feel like in there, you'd almost have to, you know, wad up a maybe you wad up something from your straws. I mean, I wouldn't suggest Paper airplane? Paper, fitting paper. it by any means, but maybe throwing it. I don't know. Did, did get on just, hinge and swipe and hope you see the girl across the bar. Did you I don't just know. suggest a spitball? No, 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 no spit. You should never spit on people. Like, send her, send him a drink. Maybe that's a better approach. I'd probably respond better to that than has that ever worked? throwing something at me, sending someone a drink. Even in non-pandemic times, has anyone has a has a drink ever just shown up from a bartender and said like, "Hey, that gentleman over there in the in the white shirt and tie sent you this cocktail, courtesy of that gentleman." Has that ever happened to you? It's happened, but I don't think it's successfully happened. I feel like the yeah. kind of people that do that, you, it's not. You know, you're like, "Thanks, I really appreciate it," but like, you're old. They're probably not at Jasper's. <laughs> You know what would work though is if someone sent me this sweet potato barbecue fries, I might (laughs) perk up because I I am such a barbecue brat. I'm from Memphis originally. And when I came to Vanderbilt to go to school, they had a lawn luncheon for parents and kids. And I get it's a barbecue. It's called a parent, a welcome barbecue. I get in line at this welcome barbecue. I'm doing quotation marks around barbecue. And my mom and dad are behind me. I'm getting in line. My brother's there too. She goes to scoop. The person goes to scoop whatever the barbecue onto my plate. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm in the wrong line. And like jumped out to go to the other line because I realized it was chicken. She's like, there's only one line. <laughs> I was like, but it's chicken. And she was like, yeah, it's barbecue chicken. I was like, this isn't barbecue. barbecue. I was, I, I was so utterly confused. My mom's like, Aaron, move along. I'm going to explain it in a minute. And I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, barbecue to me is always pork and I am so bratty about it because Nashville sometimes thinks they have better barbecue than they do. No, they, they don't. Except for I Jasper's. love these sweet potato barbecue fries and I am really vocal about my brattiness on barbecue. So if that um, says anything, ex- excuse, excuse me, miss, could I interest you in some pulled pork and some ginger cream? Now you're speaking my language. See, there you go, folks. Go to Jasper's. All it is. If you go to Jasper's and if you see a socially distanced woman, just send her some barbecue fries. That's all you got to do. That would be such a power move. I honestly think you'd get more attention. I mean, send her a drink. It actually is pretty funny. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like you send her nachos, she's gonna be like, okay. Oh man, just send her a whole What's pizza. Your story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's pretty good. I think, good. I think Go we're to- on to something. Go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. Go, to Jaspers. go on cue. Wow. Yes. Look at us so, go. Socially distanced, free parking, fantastic food, excellent place to watch a game. It's just got all the things you need. How about that? Chris, welcome to the SEC East preview here on Fringe Element. We do appreciate your time. How are you, sir? I'm well, hey, I was like the first guest, I think, when you launched this podcast. So am I the second one, like the, the first repeat guest, too? Or have you, have you cheated on me with somebody else? We cheated. Uh, that's we, did, but, we did, but you are a returning champion. So I appreciate that. Yes, and, and, rain, <laughs> and reigning champion. So we're going to go through all seven teams in the East, and we're going to get your thoughts as we head into spring practice. And, um, again, you can, in the middle of all of these answers, Chris, feel free to dog on spring practice as a general thing that people care about if you want to, but let's start with Georgia because they are going to be the front runner. And I guess broadly, I guess my, just, my question is, is, is it finally time for Georgia to actually be good enough to beat Clemson and Alabama? They probably will have to play both of them. Is it finally time? Is this finally the year that Georgia fans feel like their team is actually good enough to win those games? I mean, I think if you ask Georgia fans, it's finally time. I think if you ask those of us in the media that have picked them in the past to win the East or win the SEC championship or win the national championship, it's finally time. I do believe, though, with the returners um, that they have on defense combined with uh, what that offense looked in the latter portion of the season now, uh, having you know a quarterback that can finally utilize the, the weapons around him on the outside uh, it, it's time, you know, I think given what Florida lost this year, and I know we'll talk about them soon, but I, I think the gap between Georgia and everybody else is, is pretty big right now. And I think what we're talking about is how, how does Georgia handle the pressure? How do they handle uh, being picked uh, in, in this role? They haven't necessarily done it well before, but I, I think this year more than any other, they're probably poised to, to really live up to what the hype is at this time of year. Obviously, Chris, we know that Florida's defense needs some work, and they seem to have the weapons that they're going to need on offense to be able to fill in those gaps of the guys that they lost. But what will the spring look like for them on offense as they go in trying to kind of fill in those gaps from last year? Yeah, I really think this is a very important uh, spring practice for, for Florida. And maybe that's why they, they started so early is that they wanted to make sure they got the 15 practice days in. They wanted to make sure that you know, if they did have to push things back, they had time to get it in. Because unlike last year, when they had so many returners, particularly on offense and at the quarterback position with Kyle Trask, the offense kind of knew what they were going to be. This year, I think, and I've talked to to Dan Mullen about this in the past, in the spring, he likes to throw everything at his guys, everything at the quarterbacks. And then they go back in the offseason and look and see, all right, this guy does this really well. This fits the quarterback's eye really well. Uh, so I do think this year with only five returners on, on offense coming back and having to find a new quarterback to replace Kyle Trask, that the spring is maybe as important for them as it is for anybody else. Um, getting things fixed on defense is, is uh, probably one of the, the Florida fans' most important items on the checklist. Uh, but finding that replacement, there, there's been a lot of talk, people doubting Emory Jones. Anthony Richardson's another young quarterback that's from right here in Gainesville. So uh, I think it'll be fun to kind of watch that competition progress as we head into the offseason too. Yeah, a lot of pressure on Todd Grantham this year. There's no question about that. Uh, I don't think giving up 30 points per game is acceptable in Gainesville. Um, Missouri also gave up like a billion points a game last year, but they seem to have found some things, found some things in a quarterback in Connor Basilak. Eli Drinkwitz now in year two. 
Uh, I guess the question is how, how much growth do you expect out of a team that's in their second year with a head coach, but a young quarterback and, and can you win games in shootouts? Cause that's what it feels like Missouri is going to have to do continually moving forward. Have you not watched college football? I mean, it's, it's all about shootouts these days. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the days of dominant defenses, the days of 24, 21 games are long gone. Um, you know, as far as questions about uh, Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz, like this time last year, I probably knew the least about him as, of, of any coach in the SEC. Um, he spent a lot of time with, with me and Peter Burns on SEC this morning coming on during the pandemic and really showing himself, you know, to be this very personable coach that, that everybody got to know as the season wore. I think his players, uh, what he did to bond with his guys in the offseason, what he did in terms of going and, and getting everybody registered to vote, giving, you know, showing how much he cared about his guys off the field. I think it showed with the way they played. And uh, I'm excited about the creativity offensively. Uh, you're right about needing to kind of shore some things up on the defensive side. But I think Connor Bazelak one of the great uh, kind of surprise stories of last season, watching him come out of nowhere and, and, and show what he's capable of, both throwing the football and running the football. The creativity with which that offensive staff puts together game plans and, and calling plays. Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch, and I think he reinvigorated that fan base. So I'm excited about watching Missouri, you know, as we get back into a more normal situation where fans can come out. That was one of the things when, when Jim Sturck hired, uh, when they fired the, the former coach Barry Odom and hired Eli Drinkwitz, he said, we got to create some excitement again. So they got the re, uh, the renovated stadium. Uh, they've, they've been able to have a successful season where they finished five and five last year, I believe. So uh, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism, and I hope that translates to additional fan interest from the Missouri fan base. In terms of Kentucky, Chris, um, obviously we, they got Liam Cohen, who um, I know that they're hoping will create a little bit more of a dynamic passing offense for them. But as we know, Kentucky thrives on the ground. That's just where they're the strongest. Braden and I have talked about before, like I kind of picture them being like an old school Georgia, like just cram it down your throat and, and try to make that work. But how much of a passing offense will they need in the SEC at that point? Can you even win on the ground anymore? And, and how much do they need to develop that to give themselves a shot? You're right. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic with what we've dealt with Kentucky offensively. I mean, think back to a number of years ago, they had to pivot and go from a, a spread out offense where they're, they're throwing it and using up tempo to uh, having to, to run the football. And that really became their MO. The, the offensive line uh, became the strength of their team uh, running the football. Benny Snell was kind of the, the leader in transforming what they were doing offensively. But I think what you've seen is a, a limitation uh, with the last couple quarterbacks they've had, being able to throw the football down the field and, and having to make that adjustment two years ago with Lynn Bowden moving to the quarterback position, I think stunted the growth of, of the wide receivers last year. Uh, they weren't very good in 2020 at, at throwing the ball down the field. And you, look, you saw defenses just crowding the line of scrimmage. I mean, if you can't complete a, a pass beyond 10 yards consistently, it's going to be very difficult to operate uh, offensively as a whole. So they went out and got Liam Cohen, as you said, uh, looking for a little youth and creativity on the offensive side. I think there's a, a big uh, point of emphasis to start, you know, getting into the, the 2020 style of playing football and throwing, the, throwing it down the field. Uh, they're looking to, to hit, you know, strike a little lightning in the bottle like LSU did when they went and got Joe Brady from the NFL, a young up and coma, kind of in the same situation. So um, they've been fortunate enough. I, I love, you know, candidly, and you guys probably know this, I, I love, what Mark Stoops has done there. I love the patience that Mitch Barnhart has had and allowing him 
to, to, to build the program that he kind of envisioned. Um, and this is taking the next step. They're, they've been really solid defensively, but they've got to be able to, to find a way to throw the football down the field. And I think having um, a, a new offense out there has attracted some, some transfers. As we've seen, they've been able to go out and get some top-tier type transfers from the transfer portal um, that hopefully can pay dividends for them offensively this year. Speaking of patience, Tennessee. Um, let's... <laughs> that, 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 those two words have never been utilized in the same sentence, right? Tennessee being patient. I, you know, I think you and I were like, I think it was a bunch of us and we were sitting at like two urban licks or something in Atlanta the year that Jeremy Pruitt was hired. And we were all just going like, I wonder how this is going to work out. And, you know, lo and behold, here we are three years later. And listen, Josh Heupel's offense, we, I think a lot of people know what it is, what it's going to look like, what it's going to do. Missouri fans, SEC fans know what it is, especially in the East. It's one read and go. It's going to be simple. My question about Tennessee is, how bad does it get everywhere else? Like on the roster, how, how bad could it get for Tennessee when you start looking at the defensive depth chart, the offensive line? Like, fine, the quarterback might be able to sling it and they might score some points, but how bad does it get everywhere else? I mean, I, I think it's really bad right now. I mean, the mass exodus on the offensive line that you kind of alluded to, losing a number of defensive players, in, in, including Henry To'o, To'o like – he, he was the heart and soul of that Tennessee defense. So that that's a big loss. Uh, I, I know he hadn't uh, declared where he's going yet. And I don't know if there's any thought of being able to get him back or not, but uh, I do think there is, it, it's, it's going to be a long road and everybody's kind of talked about it, whether it's, you know, trying to upgrade the talent through recruiting, building those relationships that is taken. you guys know, I mean, it, it takes a while to, to come into a new area to be able to, um, you know, capitalize on, on some of the relationships that take time to build. And uh, Tennessee's unique, as you guys know. I mean, having to go into Florida, having to go into Georgia, having to go into to North Carolina to recruit talent, there's not as much homegrown talent there as there are with a lot of the other teams that they play in the East. So they're going to have to be uh, patient in, in developing some of those relationships. And I, I, I have skepticism about that offense, right? And as you, you remember from Missouri, um, one of the reasons why the, the um, quarterback came back, Drew Locke came back, was he wanted to learn how to be an NFL quarterback, wanted to go through NFL reads. It's a very simplistic kind of passing game uh, that I think, you know, is going to turn some some people off potentially want to want to play the quarterback position. So I, I do think it's going to to take some time. I, I like what, um, you know, Ole Miss, what Ole Miss did with, with Jeff Levy's influence was a lot of what UCF had done a lot of what he brought from UCF. So I, I think the offense has evolved since, um, you know, Josh Heupel was in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, but I do have questions about how quickly they're going to be able to, to find the right pieces that they need and how long, uh, how much patience that the uh, Tennessee fan base is willing to show as this kind of uh, takes shape. It, it's, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a long road, road to hoe at this point. As we move on to, Vanderbilt speaking of patience I think you know as a coach at Vanderbilt you may get a little bit more time than you would at a school like Tennessee or some of these other schools but there's a long way to go here obviously you had Ken Seals has a year under his belt and he definitely showed signs of hope but there's a ton of questions along the O-line the defense gave up like 37 points a game or something that's not brag worthy and I'm just curious Chris I don't think people really understand what it would take to go from being a zero win team to even winning three or four games in the SEC. Can you talk about that gap and what it real the difference between winning no games and being 
kind of bad? Well, you know, they, they, they won no games in a 10 game SEC schedule. Right. So to your point, you know, yes. how are they going to be able to win three or four Southeastern conference games? They'll be able to win a couple of games as they play out of conference, as they play a group of five or FCS team. But when you get in this league and, and from a player's perspective, I can tell you the cumulative effect of playing the competition, the physicality, the, the mental toll that it takes you from week to week uh, is exhaustive. And if you look at one of the, the major issues that Vanderbilt has is they just don't have the depth of talent that everybody else in the league does. Um, last year was extremely uh, difficult for them with all the, the opt-outs, uh, both preseason, in the season, injuries that, that took a toll on them as well. Uh, it's a tough job. And, and, and the great part about it is Clark Lee is familiar. He's, he's acknowledged that I know the unique inherent challenges of being at Vanderbilt playing football in the Southeastern Conference. He knows what he's getting into. I, I think the, the realistic goal for Vanderbilt is much different than it is for the other 13 teams. I believe that the other 13 teams uh, think that they can uh, win a, a division championship, that they can win the SEC, that they can you know, potentially get to a college football playoff. I don't know that that's ever going to be possible for Vanderbilt, but I do look at places like Stanford. I look at Northwestern. I look at Duke, what they've been able to do. I don't think being great in the classroom and great on the football field are mutually exclusive. Uh, I think it starts with, with investing in your facilities. Look at Northwestern. North, Northwestern has one of the nicest facilities in all of the country. Uh, so uh, making it a priority to be competitive on the football field is what I want to see from the administration, making that commitment to giving Clark Lee, an opportunity to go out and get top tier talent. Cause I do believe there are players that want to come get a Vanderbilt education and also want to play in the sec. So uh, let's give them a reason to do that. I, I'm, I'm a, a big Vanderbilt fan. I love everything that, that they're about. Uh, but I do wish that they would not make it so difficult on their, their, their athletic coaches uh, to try to compete in a very challenging conference like they play in. Yeah, everyone, in everyone in Nashville is nodding their heads right now. <laughs> it will be interesting to see. I think it was already become, you know, guys are really starting to realize not that they didn't already the value of the education, but it'll be interesting to see if this year and how quickly you see that sports can be stripped away. That has anything to do with guys as they make their decisions moving forward. Yeah. I will say this though. I think, you know, as great as James Franklin was for Vanderbilt, I think it also might've been a little bit of a curse too. you know, to come in and have, the success that he had may have given Vanderbilt fans a little bit of a, a false expectation for what's possible. Uh, you do have to have a guy that has an extreme amount of charisma uh, to be able to sell the vision that he's trying to create there. And, and hopefully Clark Lee has that. I can tell you this guys, having played for coach Spurrier, you know, I have a much different appreciation for a coach that's played at the level that he's coaching and also has played at that school. Uh, the passion with which they speak about their experience, about what it means to come be a part of the program. Those are selling points that I don't think anybody from the outside would be able to come in and, and sell, particularly at Vanderbilt. So uh, it, it is a challenge, but I think, you know, they've got a guy in Clark Lee that, that certainly is aware of, of what those challenges are and, and has a way to, to sell what he thinks is possible to be created in Nashville. You know, you mentioned James Franklin and sort of like, I don't want to say like false expectations, but sort of the, the anomaly, right? The outlier. Well, Spurrier, your guy, 11 wins, you know, multiple 10 win seasons at South Carolina, back to back to back. It's starting to look more and more like that's the outlier for South Carolina. Now I look at this roster and I go, all right, they got a lot of pieces coming back on offense. They got some, a couple of four or five star guys on defense I, like to me, the question is: it, Was this the right time to go for a like a, a a rebuild coach, or do they actually have pieces 
Like, I, I, I don't know. They've tried the retread. They've tried all different types of stuff. I guess I can't blame them for trying Shane Beamer, who's never called a play on either side of the ball. But the question is, is Shane Beamer the right guy at the right time for South Carolina? Well, first and foremost, let's address the, the Coach Furrier thing that you mentioned, back-to-back-to-back 11-win seasons. I think that was a bit of an anomaly as well, as you mentioned. Think about the in-state talent that they had at that time. I mean, you're talking about Alshon Jeffrey, Marcus Lattimore, uh, Jade Van Clowney. You're not going to have that, that much talent at the same time from the state of South Carolina. And if you do, a lot of them probably going to end up at Clemson at this point in time. So it is a challenge. Uh, but I love I love the hire of Shane Beamer because of what he brings, the passion that he has for being at South Carolina, the experience that he gained being on that staff with Coach Spurrier back at the heyday of of uh, of those teams uh, that we talked about. Um, I also think that that um, there is a new kind of mindset. You mentioned not having experience calling a play. Well, that's kind of what we've seen at LSU, right? With Ed Orgeron, he, he's a guy that comes in and acts as a CEO, the face of the the, uh, the franchise there. I think Shane Beamer can do that. And every, everybody I talked to that has played at South Carolina before or was part of the administration there has speaks about him glowingly. And I think creating excitement is something that they, they need. Um, you know, unfortunately things have gotten a little bit uh, beat down under the uh, Will Muschamp tenure in the latter years. And, and so they need a reason to feel excited about the direction that they're headed. So I think Shane Beamer brings that. He brings a passion he brings a desire to be there. I think that's the most important thing in identifying a coach at a place like South Carolina is somebody that's not looking at it as a stepping stone. Somebody that wants to come there and build a uh, uh, build a, a tradition and build some history there. And if you know, there's probably nobody that knows that better than Shane Beamer, having watched what his father did at Virginia Tech. So I think it could be a very similar situation. I think that you know, as much as I, I love Will Muschamp, um, there becomes a point where the fan base is so fractured that it's impossible to have success because of the negativity that surrounds the program. And I think that's where they were now. Uh, but again, I think the same thing we've talked about with Tennessee, the same thing we've talked about with Vanderbilt, uh, the same thing we've talked about with, uh, with some of the other teams today is patience. Like these fans have to understand it's going to take time to build. There's a, a number of talented guys that you mentioned that are on that roster. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's going to take talent to fill in some of the holes and to, to, to get that culture built that he's hoping to create there. Well, w- one more here and I'll let you go. Just as a player, what were you trying to accomplish in spring practice? So I think it, that's, a, that's a great question. And it depends on what year you're in and what stage of your career you're in. When I was when I was a, a freshman and, and heading into my sophomore year, like I, I, I needed to prove myself, you know, and Coach Berger would take us into the stadium quite frequently to try to emulate a game day feel to see how guys reacted in the stadium, to see how they reacted under the lights. And I think really that's what I, I, I gained my opportunity my redshirt freshman year to make the travel squad. I was one of the top eight receivers that, that got to dress every week. And, and, and I earned that during spring practice. Uh, I continued to evolve and had, you know, probably my best spring ever heading into my redshirt sophomore year, which was the year that I, I kind of had my breakout in 93. So I think there's a lot that can be gained from it. I can tell you my senior year heading into my, uh, my final season that uh, I didn't do much during spring. I didn't participate in any of the scrimmages. I kind of watched for the most part. Uh, so I think it, it changes over time, but I, I do as much as, as it's hard to kind of get up for, I think anybody that's a competitor, anybody that wants to earn a job understands the importance of, of what spring football means and what the opportunity uh, that, that exists there is. 
Chris Doring, our returning champion. Looking forward to seeing you guys on Saturdays again, man. We do appreciate you, bud. Thanks. Yeah, thank you guys. Good Thanks, to be Chris. back. Thank you. Special thanks to Chris Doring for joining us and giving us a few minutes of his time. That was our SEC East preview, Aaron. All seven teams. We did like a, like almost an hour on just one division. We're going to do the West coming up in a little bit as well, like next week or the week after or something like that. Just stay tuned. Stay tuned to the Twitter sphere, the, the Instagram place. I don't know. Stay tuned. <laughs> I don't have anything to say to that. Except for, yeah, you should stay tuned. I'm sorry, Braden. Sounds like an old person. I'm not sorry. I'm enjoying it. I'm falling You're high on oven fumes. <laughs> He's high. Yeah, I'm, I've done this entire episode high. That's that's what it is. I am on drugs. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll, do that gas, on, dude. we'll do that on a Saturday night sometime. We'll just drink and do one of those. We, we still haven't got enough people that want to want us to do that. So I told you I'm down. Well, how we'll many do reviews it. do we have? We'll do it. We'll do it on. We'll do it next fall when we can. On the, I'm not I'm not yeah, doing we need a, to do some stuff live next fall. I'm not doing a live drunken scoreboard rant for spring games. I'm not going to do it. I draw the line somewhere. That should, our line probably should be drawn before that, but I'm fine with the threshold being that for now. <laughs> I agree. So special thanks to Chris Doring. Did we learn anything today about the SEC East? What did yeah. we learn? What did we learn? I, I Listen, I think here's my big takeaway from the East. It's going to be hard to play defense. That's my yeah. big takeaway from the East is, I think Georgia can do it. I think Kentucky can do it. I don't know who else is going to get any stops in 2021. That's my big mm-hmm. question. Yep. You, you do have to have lots of things in place and working properly to stop um, some of these powerhouse teams from, I mean, both sides really, but mainly the West. So we <laughs> shall see. <laughs> right. Um, so special thanks to Chris Doring for hanging out with us. We do appreciate that. Of course, I'm going to go see if I can plug this propane leak in my house. Special thanks to Jaspers, of course, for being our primary and presenting sponsor on the show. They got great shareables. They got great food. They got a great place to go sit and watch the game. They're socially And they know how to work their own oven. They are way better at working their own oven than I am. Yes. Go to Jaspers. There's no propane leaks. (laughs) Come to Jaspers where you won't get high on propane. (laughs) Damn it. For Aaron Dugan, my name is Braden Gall. Special thanks to Jaspers and Chris Doring. Where can people follow you, Aaron? Um, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram and the Aaron Dugan on the Twitter machine. At 440 Sports on uh, Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been Fringe Element brought to you by Jaspers on the 440 Sports Network. Jaspers. I don't know what to say that time. Freaked out.